0: Hello and welcome to the Android Central podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's all about Windows 11. Microsoft spent yesterday, Thursday, June 24th, introducing Windows 11. There's a lot of implications for our listeners who use Android phones. So, we are going to talk to an expert about what it means for the wider industry, computing is not just about PCs versus Mac. It's still, you know, a a phone is a computer, and there are implications for Android users uh, with the introduction of Windows 11. So we'll get into that. I'm going to introduce who is with us today. Jerry Hildenbrand is with us. How are you?
1: I'm great. How
0: are you? I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, Ara Wagner, how's it going?
2: It's going...
0: Okay, that's ominous. We'll get to that maybe at the end. And uh, welcoming Zach Bowden back uh, from Windows Central after a year or so. How's it going, dude? I'm good.
3: Thanks for having me on. Super excited to be here.
0: We're happy to have you. I wanted to get you on to talk about Windows 11 in general and the implications for Android apps on Windows 11 is a big deal, I think. Just the changes to to the Windows Store and how that may spill over onto the mobile market obviously microsoft made a big deal about uh, about allowing uh app developers to include their own payment back ends as opposed to going through microsoft which in doing so would take zero you know microsoft would take a a a zero percent cut of any payments made in those apps that could have effects on apple and google especially with this uh Epic versus Apple lawsuit right now and the potential outcome there as well as regulatory scrutiny. I want to talk about Windows 11 versus Chrome, right? This is the the design of Windows 11 was adapted from the discontinued Windows 10X which was being built as sort of a de facto Chrome OS competitor, more mobile friendly. ARM first, etc. talk about that. And we'll just talk about, in general, why Windows 11 exists. Why didn't Microsoft just continue evolving Windows 10? Is it because they want to sell more laptops and they want those stickers on laptops? Or is there a philosophical reason why today they need to have Windows 11? So we'll get into all of that. But Zach, very high level, what is Windows 11? What can people expect from it? And when is it coming out?
3: So Windows 11 is Microsoft's next generation of, well, Windows. It's been in the works for the last year and is essentially a replacement for Windows 10, uh, like an old school Windows release. You know, for a little while, we thought Windows 10 would be the last version of Windows. uh, But that turns out to be a complete lie. We are now uh, coming up to (laughs) Windows 11 and uh, Microsoft is pushing full steam ahead. So we're expecting Windows 11 to ship this fall. It will be a free upgrade for Windows 10 users if your hardware supports it, which I think we'll get into a bit later. Um, and um, it will begin shipping on win- brand new PCs this fall as well. And Windows 10 users will should start seeing it as an update in the fall, but that will sort of extend into 2022 As it rolls out to more people, so free upgrade, which is always nice to see. I feel like it would have been crazy if they tried to charge for this. Nobody charges for updates anymore. Um, But yeah, Windows 11 has a whole bunch of new features in it: a brand new UI, new Start menu, uh, new app designs, uh, new productivity features, new app features, Android app support. It's essentially, well, it is a brand new version of Windows.
0: All right, so give us the maybe the top five features. You know, reasons people are going to be excited about it. i I, I know Android app support is is I, I think a on paper a big deal. I think in practice, it'll be less of a big deal, but we'll get to that a bit later. But um, I'd love to know how Microsoft is going to I know they're not selling it, but essentially sell this upgrade. We know that millions of people were reluctant to even upgrade from Windows seven to Windows ten. So what's going to make people want to upgrade to Windows 11 from Windows 10?
3: Yeah, so at Microsoft's event yesterday, they sort of sold the fact that Windows 11 has a beautiful new consistent UI as a big selling point for this operating system. Windows for a long while has sort of had a an okay ish UI. it's not the prettiest in the world it just sort of works it was kind of complicated as well a lot of sort of normal users may find it a little bit daunting even uh, with windows 11 they've tried to simplify the entire ux so things like context menus and and corners on the the, the on app windows and stuff they're they're much more rounder they're simpler they are trying to make Windows more approachable to just general users. Uh, so that's one of their big selling points to Windows 11, the UI. And that's sort of evident with the fact that the taskbar is now centered. The, the start menu has been borrowed from Windows 10X. They've gotten rid of the live tiles and replaced them with a simple grid of app icons. Uh, the, the, the the notification center is, is simplified now. Everything is, is trying to be as simplified as possible on Microsoft's end. In addition to that, they're also shipping a whole bunch of new productivity features that you know make you work better also they say things like uh, snap assist is being improved dramatically windows has always had a very good snapping feature uh, but now it's being improved in windows 11 there's now a drop down menu in window controls that lets you snap to a whole bunch of different grid layouts uh, and on bigger screens you get even more snapping uh, layouts including like a three pane snap which wasn't there on windows 10 um there's also a whole bunch of new improvements for touch users. Windows 10 was kind of iffy on touch. Windows 8 was great on touch but terrible on desktops. So with Windows 11, they've found a happy medium where touch users can be happy and desktop users can be happy as well. There's loads more animations, subtle animations involved when touching windows, moving app windows around and resizing app windows. hitboxes are larger. There's a whole there's an entire new touch keyboard experience which is built off SwiftKey which came from Android and iOS, has theming Yay. support. Yeah. <laughs> and um, a whole bunch of pen improvements. There's a new pen workspace which can be configured and customized so you can have, like, quick shortcuts to things like Photoshop. Um And that's just off the top of my head, really. There's a whole bunch more stuff. Obviously, the new Microsoft Store and the the ability to essentially download any app that exists on Windows, if a developer has put it in there, as well as Android apps, which uh, we're still a little bit murky on. Microsoft hasn't shared much detail yet, but um, that will be supported on Windows 11 as well. All right.
0: So for our listeners, many of them are obviously going to be Android users and Windows PC users. And I think over the last couple of years, we've seen tighter integration uh with your phone. Yes. Samsung in particular has been, I think, leading that charge, trying to integrate Samsung phones with Microsoft products uh more closely. But your phone is available to all Android users if you have a Windows PC. It's I think a very useful feature and something that yeah. that Google has actually tried to emulate on Chrome. And I want Ara to talk about the the phone hub on Chrome OS a little bit later. During the event, it really did seem like both Panos Panay and Satya Nadella, they leaned into this idea that Windows Phone didn't work. They're okay with that. They're in a different era of Microsoft, and now they're kind of all in on Android. And the way that they're all in on Android, it depends on how you view what Android is, because their integration with Android in general is less about a relationship with Google than it is about just accepting that Android's inherent openness and flexibility gives them a lot of tools to work with when when it comes to app design, app development, and and like integration with OEM partners like Samsung. So walk us through basically how the evolution from a post Windows Phone world to Microsoft accepting that Android is their their next best option for mobile.
3: Yeah. So I think it actually really started with the iPad. When Microsoft released Office on the iPad, that was a big moment for Microsoft as a whole, as it was them essentially accepting that Windows is no longer the the number one platform in the world. There are people elsewhere now, and we need to bring our services To them. So when our office came to the iPad, that was the first sort of stepping stone to Microsoft essentially admitting to itself that we need to be inclusive to all platforms here. And if we come up to today, essentially Android is the platform where they are able to do that the most because obviously iOS is quite locked down. Uh, So, you know, we have the Surface Duo today. This is an Android phone built by Microsoft. We have things like your phone, as you mentioned, which is Microsoft building a client that essentially syncs with your Android phone and allows you to see your Android phone content, such as photos, text messages, notifications. Uh, And now with Windows 11, we're seeing uh, full-blown just local app support on on Windows 11 PCs. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Microsoft hasn't shared much detail around how this works, though we do know that it's in partnership with the Amazon App Store. So these apps will not have Google Play services. These will be taken straight from Amazon's App Store. And um, Microsoft is working in partnership with Amazon and Intel to make this happen. Because obviously most Android apps are compiled for ARM. Most PCs aren't com- ARM compiled. So Intel has this bridge technology that will sort of convert them into native apps for x86. Uh, But the apps themselves will actually come from the Amazon App Store. So that's super interesting. You'll be able to find them in the Microsoft Store and whatnot. But when you click install, I believe it will take you to Amazon's App Store and it will pull the APK from there, Uh, which is all part of Microsoft's plan to make Windows an open platform that's inclusive and available to everybody, no matter your ecosystem, whether you use an iPhone or an Android device or a Chromebook. They want you to see Windows and the Windows platform as part of that experience. You should always be welcome on Windows. So Jerry,
0: you've actually been looking into this Intel Bridge technology and how it relates to the uh, Windows 11 integration. We don't really know a ton about it yet, and how, but we do have a few answers. So why don't you walk us through what you've learned in your reporting and why you think Amazon, as opposed to maybe Google or maybe another third-party app store, I mean, it could have been F Droid for freak's sake <laughs> if Google, if Amazon, uh, sorry, if Microsoft really wanted to go like out there um
1: why choose amazon that's a question i can't even fathom to try to answer uh i i you know what i I, i'll tell you the people who actually are writing and building android are loving this this is what android was designed to do android is not just an operating system for your phone the app ecosystem is open source. Microsoft could have done this on their own without Amazon. It would have been a lot harder, of course, to build out a store and get developers to fill it with apps. So they had to find a partner. But why they went with Amazon, uh, I'm going to guess that Google wanted more than Microsoft wanted to offer for now. uh, There was a hint that future stores like Google Play and Steam could come to Uh, Windows 11 in the future, which kind of blew my mind after, you know, I I first heard that one. Uh, And and as far as Intel bridge, a lot of people think that it's hardware. It's not. It is a software strategy that lets newer architecture CPUs. They call it an XPU strategy. So it's, you know, like uh, newer SOCs that may have integrated other processors or integrated graphics to I, I hate to use the word translate but that's the best word I can think of translate the Android bytecode into something that Windows can understand and just run it on your screen and it's not an Intel only thing uh, the Intel bridge works with uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon processors and AMD processors so right now that's about where we're at Intel doesn't have a lot to say. Microsoft has a little bit more to say, but exactly how it works is still left for people like me. And I assume many other people are investigating to figure it out on our own. Yeah. And it, it looks, it's, it's a smart idea. Intel is, you know, they're, this is their thing. They, they deal with taking, Code written in a certain way and translating it into things that will appear on your screen. Microsoft having Intel help support this was a great idea. Or AMD, it didn't have to be Intel. They went with Intel for, you know, Intel says it's because they were further ahead. Their technology is better. I assume AMD would have said the same thing if they had chosen AMD. But doing it with a company like Intel was smart. It gives Microsoft uh, a little more breathing room, and you have the experts working on it. And Microsoft can give their input on what they think will work better, and it'll happen a lot faster this way. Exactly how it works? Man, I don't know. I think there's like little gnomes that have magic dust, and they're just going to shake it and make it work. That's, That's the best guess right now. I mean, if anybody had Magic
0: Dust, it was Panos yesterday. Like, that guy, (laughs) his presentation was just so... Every time I watch him, it seems like he's about to cry, but not because he's sad.
1: It's because he's feeling every emotion possible at the same time. Maybe he's going to touch every single Windows 11 (laughs) device, and that's just going to be what makes it work. But it it is very cool, and everything I'm reading, it, it seems technically sound, so it's not anything to hate on. It's just, let's find out more about how it works so we can talk about how cool it really is. You know, I think
3: Microsoft referred to the Windows subsystem for Android yesterday during their developer sort of briefing. Uh, Microsoft already has something called the Windows subsystem for Linux, which, to simplify Mm -hmm. things, is essentially a Linux distro running in a VM, and then you can run uh, GUI apps on top of that and place them on your Windows desktop. So perhaps this sort of technology will work similar to that. Essentially an Android VM running on top of Windows, then it places the app on your desktop.
1: I, I think what this bridge is trying to do is take the the actual VM the way we think of a VM out of the picture. And it's more like a native translation,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, you know, it could be, yeah, because we, we we just don't know at this point, <laughs> right? And that that would
1: make for better, you know, a better experience. That's so. right,
3: because the subsystem for Linux is more of a developer tool right now, and this mm-hmm. is very much an end user uh, experience with the Android stuff. So yeah, it will be, we'll be. I'm really interested to see how this behaves on Windows and how it performs.
0: I want to bring Ara in for a second. Ara, you have a lot of experience. On Chrome, you use Chrome OS as your primary operating system. You treat Chrome OS as a desktop experience. And by virtue of that, you, more than anybody on this call, has had access to Android apps on Chrome for for, for years. And what I find really interesting about the announcement that Android apps will be available through the Amazon App Store is that Even being available through the official Play Store, meaning that you have access to many, many hundreds of thousands of high-quality apps, we rarely hear about people actively taking advantage of that capability when using Chrome because the experience itself is still pretty janky.
2: It depends on the app, but yes, there are still a lot of apps that are still janky. Google has been working with developers for years trying to get them to better optimize it, I'm hoping. I keep hoping in vain that the next version of Android, the next version of this uh, Android design with Material U, I'm hoping as Android is like, hey, we want you to redesign your app for this. And while you're doing that, this will make it easier for you to scale it for foldables, for tablets, for Chromebooks. So please, please don't just design it for phones anymore. Because, I mean, the same thing that we would say of Android apps on Chrome OS is the same thing we would say of Android apps on tablets. Some of them are just not going to work good because they're not designed for anything except a phone.
0: In your day-to-day experience, do you use any Android apps to augment yes. your native Chrome OS experience?
2: Yes. I use a Microsoft app on my Chromebook every single day. I use the uh, Microsoft Solitaire Collection every day, and I like uh, the uh, Android version of it more not, than the Windows no, version of it. That's not
1: what he meant now. No, no. that's not what I meant. I, I don't.
2: Mean. don't I don't use a whole lot of apps for work just cuz I've been trained to just work out of the browser. Like I write in Google Keep, I write in Google Drive, and I when I when I write in Google Docs, I don't use the app, I use the web exp, I use the web handler. I would use the app if I could still use my text expander, but you can't use your text expander unless you're in the browser. Right. And I need all my shortcuts.
0: <laughs> okay. So that's fair. That's that's a kind of a separate issue that I actually want to talk about a little bit more because Zach, Windows 11 is being repre- is being presented you know much more so than Windows 10 as like a an internet-based operating system you need an you need a uh an internet connection to sign in you need a Microsoft account it's being made touch friendly which means it's going to be more amenable to two-in-ones that hopefully will mean more people will un, you know detach their keyboards and use it uh as a you know, standalone tablet operating system. You can see where Microsoft was coming from in its development of Windows 10X, which was initially designed as a foldable experience or dual screen experience, which would have then in the end user um, paradigm been used for foldables. So talk us through how Microsoft is trying to adapt Windows 11 for all screen sizes and ways of, using what is essentially a traditional desktop OS?
3: So uh, what I believe that the minimum screen size for Windows 11 is nine inches or up, which I think is big, bigger than what it was for Windows 10. I think Windows 10 was eight inches, maybe seven inches. I can't remember, but they've increased it to nine inches, uh, but it can expand to any size up from there, really. Uh, so obviously, as you mentioned, the touch improvements, this is all about making tablet-sized devices easier to use with Windows Uh, on Windows. Um, But then there's also the other side of things like desktops and whatnot. Windows 10, uh, Windows 11 has a UX that caters to both. So tablet mode is gone on Windows 11, even on tablets. But that's because Microsoft reckons that the the desktop experience they have built on Windows 11 is good enough to use when in tablet mode, uh, when using it on a tablet anyway. So I've sort of tried this out a little bit. I'm not too keen on some of the changes they've made. For example, apps no longer sort of open full screen when using it on a tablet anymore you have to manually resize every app to make them full screen Uh, some people may not have a problem with that some people may even prefer that but me when i'm using a tablet especially on say like a 10 inch device i kind of want the apps to open full screen because there's not much room to go anyway so that's an interesting change they've also sort of improved the snapping stuff with touch as well the animations involved with that is a lot more smoother similar to an ipad they've very much gone for um the ipad sort of Flare of fluid animations and whatnot. Um, But yeah, there's lots of different things going on in Windows 11 that although the UI is the same across all of these devices, it depends on your inputs and and what you're using as inputs that changes the experience.
0: And what do you know about how much of Windows 11 was directly adapted from 10X? I assume the, the development of 11 started parallel or even probably long before 10x, but how much of the end result is what 10x would have looked like?
3: Uh, Quite a bit of it. Obviously, the center taskbar and the start menu is very 10x inspired. I wouldn't even be surprised if they simply lifted that from 10x and then tweaked it a bit. Uh, Same with things like the the notification center and and the quick settings panel. Those are very clearly also inspired, possibly even lifted from 10x. Um, But the similarities sort of end there because Windows 10x was Although it was a new UX on the surface, underneath it was essentially an entire new version of Windows, a modern version of Windows that stripped... Uh, Windows off all of its legacy components, essentially, and containerized them so that they weren't affecting the system unless you really needed to run legacy applications. That's not what Windows 11 is. Windows 11 is the same old legacy version of Windows that we've come to love or hate, uh, including things like access to the registry or the legacy control panel. That's all still there behind the scenes if you really need it. Uh, so... There are very clear differences between 10X and Windows 11 in regards to uh, the platform. But on the surface, the UX layer, they are very similar. Even I think the snapping stuff on Windows 11 is also sort of uh, taken from 10X as well. So UX layer, definitely 10X inspired. Everything else is still same old Windows.
1: Uh, it, as far as the UX, uh, it's, this is more like an aside, but it's it's a testament to how good design will live forever. Uh, And Apple is guilty here, too. If you can remember, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, every once in a while on the Internet, you'd see some crazy screenshot from some guy that had this weird Linux Windows manager (laughs) that did all this crazy stuff. This is literally almost an exact copy of one called KDE from, God, 15 years ago. But back then, it ran really poorly because the hardware couldn't support it. But the idea was good. And it you know it shows that companies like Apple and companies like Microsoft and even Google, they look at good design and they tweak it and they build on top of it. And that's why everything seems to be converging.
3: Yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to talk about in our remaining time, Zach. Uh, I do want to take a quick break. Um, we have to thank a sponsor, but we will be right back to go into all the changes to the Windows Store. Hey, ACP listeners, we're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. Hover is one of those companies that you've definitely interacted with on the internet, whether you know it or not. It's a jumping-off point for a ton of entrepreneurs, and they want you to start your business with a domain name. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. No matter what you wanna build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have. Their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UI, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains, it's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. Now, I've had a chance to use the UI and they're not lying. Hover is extremely easy to use. You can find the right domain for you and buy it really, really quickly. And if you have an idea for a domain, check it out. Go to hover.com ACP and get the domain name that you've been waiting for. And if you go to hover.com ACP, you get a 10% discount with our referral link on all purchases. That's right, 10% off. Your domain name at hover.com slash ACP. Make a name for yourself with Hover. All right, Zach. Um, the Windows Store has really been a just a sore in Microsoft's a thorn rather in Microsoft's side for years. There has been limited developer interest the quality of the apps inside the store has always been fairly low. There hasn't been the financial incentive, in, uh, despite the user base, the, the size of the existing Windows user base, the adoption of the Windows Store has been very low. And, my, and Apple has experienced the same thing on the Mac App Store, and we saw lots of affidavits and, and other emails about how desperate Apple was during the Epic trial to get people to use the Mac App Store in the way that they are forced to use the iOS App Store. And I wonder, walk us through the changes to the Windows Store, how Microsoft is trying to approach attracting developers this time, and and ultimately whether you think it'll succeed after them trying, I don't know, five or six different iterations over the years.
3: Yeah, so the new Microsoft Store, which they say will launch later this year alongside Windows 11 and also on Windows 10, uh, has a a brand new UI, which kind of basically matches the rest of the Windows 11 UX. It's very clean, very fluid and all that good stuff. But the bigger changes are with the policies that govern the kind of apps that, that can actually be submitted to the store by developers. Uh, in the past, as you mentioned, Microsoft has tried a whole bunch of different things to get developers into the store. When the Windows Store first launched back in 2012, I think it was, it was a very locked down ecosystem. They were very much trying to copy Apple in that regard. Uh, but over time, they've slowly but surely relaxed things and allowed more more kinds of apps into the storefront. In, with the launch of Windows 10, we moved to UWP, which was still basically the same as what they were trying to do with Windows 8. But very quickly, they transitioned to allowing uh, legacy desktop applications into the store as well, as long as they were packaged uh, as a as similar to how UWP is packaged, and also abided by the Microsoft Store's policies, which includes things like updates being submitted and um, greenlit through the Microsoft Store and using Microsoft's own commerce platform, where they take, I think, a fifteen percent cut from fifteen percent cut from all revenue. Now with Windows 11, they're essentially blowing all of that away and saying, all right, fine, you win. Developers, you can submit any application you want. You don't have to make any changes to it. You don't have to package it like a UWP app. You can submit a raw executable or an MSI application if you really want. We will not force you to use micros- uh, our own uh, inbuilt store updater and we will no longer force you to use our, your, our own commerce platform as well. You can use your own commerce platform and if you do, you will can keep 100% of the profits. We will take nothing from you if you do that. And you can also now use your own content delivery networks for things like updates and and whatever else and even pulling the app from the store so essentially the store now becomes just a just a, a browser for the web's best windows apps and uh, you press install it will pull from a developer's own servers if they want to and uh, you can have the application that way as well so it's becoming an open storefront for the best of windows apps and why microsoft is doing this it's so it's to satisfy the end user, right? Right now, if you launch the Microsoft store and you search for something like Firefox, you don't find it in the store because of Microsoft's current store policies disallowing Firefox into the store. It's, a, it's a, an annoying end user experience to not find the app you use every day. They're trying to change that with this new store. So if you search for Firefox in the, in the new Microsoft store, assuming Firefox has submitted their app to be shown in the new store, it will now show up and there's no policies stopping them from doing that.
1: I, I wanna say that Microsoft's new store looks like it's going to be the best app store out of all of them.
3: Hopefully. I think that's what they're hoping for, because it's fair to say that Microsoft store has a reputation of being arguably the worst right. <laughs> app store on mm. all the platforms.
2: I'd well, argue is a... Amazon's is worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: fair, I knew fair. that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> fair on desktop platforms, out of the two, uh Windows might be the worst. But hopefully this this changes things because I think they've already announced that Adobe is going to be putting there. Creative Cloud suite into the new store. Um, TikTok just submitted a web app, which is better than nothing, I guess. Um, hey, PWA's in an app store is a great, great oh, idea. Microsoft are pushing for PWA more yes. than most because they—that's all they have at this point.
0: <laughs> but here, here's the question: you, you said they want the openness to attract the best Windows applications, and by you know all accounts, there are a lot of Windows applications that until now had no interest in being on the Windows Store and and maybe incentivized because the work has been you know the bar has been lowered in order for them to submit an app PWAs you can ex- you can you can submit existing executables without many changes like the bar being lowered for the best apps means that the bar is also lowered for the worst spammiest apps as well right. mm-hmm. and i'm wondering how Microsoft is going to balance that. Because if you open the Windows Store right now, there is no shortage of crappy, spammy clone apps that look like the favorite apps that you want that are SEO targeted towards the searches that you're trying to hit. But the apps themselves aren't there. They're just, you know, poor knockoffs of those apps. And how is Microsoft going to balance that while also curating... And, 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 and preventing malware and, 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 and privacy, uh, you know, in apps that don't respect your privacy, uh, how can they have their cake and eat it too?
3: This is a great question because Microsoft hasn't really explained how they're going to to police this new storefront. They have said uh, that they intend for the new store to be a trusted location for finding the best apps on Windows. How they're going to go about that is a mystery as of right now. But we can kind of speculate. I think there's still going to be an application process for submitting apps into the store. A developer can't just submit and there's no like check on that initial submission. But once it's in the store, of course, if an app is using a CDN or whatever, they can essentially pull updates from outside the store. And if it's a bad app that could pull down who knows what. And yeah, that's going to be a challenge for Microsoft that they kind of have to solve. That said, you did mention that the store already is basically full of crap Um, the bar is already pretty low and i think what microsoft is sort of hoping for here is they will curate the front page and they will curate what shows up at the top of of common search results and whatnot Um, just like how if you open up google and search for an app of any kind whether it be an actual name of an application or just a tool that you're looking for that can do a certain task you're always going to find risky results in those search results Essentially, I think that's kind of what's going to happen with the Microsoft store. But if Microsoft can curate this store well enough and sort of promote the most popular slash the the, the sort of the best quality apps at the top of the search results, then I don't think there's going to be much of a problem. Uh, but again, like I said, I'm sure Microsoft has its own own sort of tools and, and way of doing things on, on the back end that will curate and periodically check these submitted apps to make sure that whatever it is they're, they're offering is still what they in t- said they were going to offer when they submitted the app to begin with. Uh,
1: and Windows Defender is going to come into play. It's going to check yeah. every app when it's installed. And I, I think maybe the biggest thing is right now you mentioned Firefox. If you search for Firefox, you're not going to find it. But you might find stupid garbage like, this is Firefox shitty Windows bookmark manager application, number one in USA installs, whatever nonsense it'll say. But in the future, your first result might actually be Firefox, which is a big improvement.
3: Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of what they're hoping for here. It's even though technically maybe the security isn't as sound as it was before, as long as users are finding the top apps that they are constantly searching for and not finding, I think it's a win for Microsoft.
2: Well, the other part of leaning into the store as much and requiring your window, uh, your Microsoft account login whenever you log into a computer means that okay. Everything that you've installed from the Windows Store, we know what you installed. If you ever swap to a new computer, it can be like, oh, here are all of your apps. And it can be like, yes, I want all these apps, start downloading them. So I'm hoping that it can be like that on Windows the way it is on Chrome right now, because that's the one part of Chrome I really, really like. I log into a computer. all All of my extensions and browser things have instantly sync, but all of the Android applications download and install automatically as soon as I log in. And I want Windows to be like that.
1: (sighs) If you told Chrome that's what you want, which is an important thing because I disable that. I don't want that. I I understand why people would, but I want to pick and choose. I might have different things installed on different Chrome devices.
2: I log into a new Chromebook about every three weeks, Jerry. I can't be that picky.
1: (laughs) I I guarantee Microsoft, if they go that route, will have a, a user choice. And I can almost promise you before the beta period is over, if nobody else does, I'll find a way to circumvent that account requirement because I don't have a Microsoft account. And unless they let me use my Skype account, I'm not creating one. I don't like creating a million accounts.
2: Your Skype account is a Microsoft account.
1: Like, yeah, literally,
2: the, it's one account way, all of Microsoft the same way one account all of Google. Like
1: the The way it is now, you have to say you're using a Skype account. If they do away with that and make you actually have a Microsoft account, See, I'm not into that. I don't. I don't.
3: I believe that the MSA requirements only for Windows 11 Home. I think on Pro and
1: above, it's not yeah, a requirement. Yeah, but
2: Home is what most people are going to be using.
1: It makes it even easier to circumvent it. Then, yeah, yeah. There's. De- I'm sure it's, it's definitely
3: like a soft block. I'm sure there's a yeah. key combo or, or something you can do to skip yeah, it if you up, really need to. Up down to.
1: left right
0: left right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hooray, Kanani. <laughs> start. Um. I. I. I I think it's important though to to sort of recognize windows what windows is doing it or my, what microsoft is doing with windows is accepting that windows is the is the container right they they they're not containerizing individual apps they are containerizing windows itself within the microsoft ecosystem in a way that is more likely to be successful so instead of forcing cortana on you they're just overlaying the entire windows experience with a microsoft account the way that google overlays its services with a google account connecting them through and i think what what's interesting here is that one of the major announcements the through line by which you're going to use excel and word and and like all these other microsoft services is teams And they're integrating Teams directly into Windows 11, and Teams is not a fantastic product. I've heard many people complaining (laughs) about Teams about its stability, about its feature set lacking compared to many of its competitors. I mean, I'm not defending Slack. I'm not defending Google Workspace at all because Google Workspace is just as limited. But I am wondering, Zach, what Microsoft told you about why Teams is becoming a native. Service in Windows 11, as opposed to something like, um, I mean, Google. It's not really the same thing, but like Google Workspace is a separate enterprise style service that you have to go to as a portal. Eh, and it's
2: no, they they rolled out Google Workspaces to everything. That was one of the first things that I owe because that was the Smart Canvas.
0: Right, but it's not. I mean, it's 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 sort of this layer around Gmail. It's not part of Chrome OS. You don't open Chrome OS and it it like spits you out to a workspace landing page the way that Teams is being put front and center on the taskbar in Windows 11 demos. Don't, don't be giving Google any ideas, Daniel.
1: I mean, just it may get no. to that point.
0: It may get to that point. But Zach, I'm just wondering what Microsoft's telling you about the importance of Teams in the future of that Containerization of Windows, of a window of a Microsoft account within Windows.
3: So it's important to clarify that this integration of Teams in Windows 11 is not for the enterprise version of Teams. There's confusingly two versions of Teams named Teams. Uh, there's one for the enterprise, which I which <laughs> I believe is what. Yeah. There's two versions of Teams, one that's built for the enterprise, which competes with things like Slack and whatever else. Then there's Teams for Consumers, which is something that competes with Skype or WhatsApp or iMessage. And that's what they're integrating into Windows 11. So it's essentially a lighter version of Teams, a lightweight client that's pinned to the taskbar that has your recent chats within Teams for Consumers. And I I should add that these are not cross-compatible. You cannot integrate the enterprise version of Teams into this Windows what? 11 integration. So yeah, you're gonna
2: it, have two Teams icons you on your taskbar if you have Teams for work.
3: Yes, with the first version of Windows 11, at least this is they are two separate entities, which Ugh. is gonna be frustrating to some people. Um, but yeah, this is definitely this is more of a play for the for the sort of end user sort of standard chat apps rather than the enterprise.
1: And we have to remember that Microsoft is really focused on Windows 11 is going to be for always connected devices. Right. If you have an always connected device, it makes sense to have a way to always talk to your friends.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people are confused by this, though, is because Microsoft has has Skype. <laughs> why? Yeah. Is, why is this not Skype? Is, Maybe is they're the going to kill
1: Skype. Right, that that is you shut uh, your
3: mouth. (laughs) Well, they've
1: (laughs) ruined Skype. Even even the biggest Microsoft fan will tell you they ruined Skype. Yeah, kill it. They definitely left it to die. Uh,
3: But yeah, so this is what that is. Teams can for for consumers, and they are, and I believe this will come to the enterprise eventually. But they are rebuilding the actual Teams clients uh, with uh, web technologies rather than what it's currently using, which is I think Electron, and it's terrible. They're going to be adopting Webview two, which in theory should be faster and more lightweight, according to Microsoft. Uh, We don't know when that's going to be, but hopefully at some point this year. Um, But yeah, that's the team's integration. Essentially what they're trying to do is just make every PC... Communic- communicatable with other Windows PCs, just like you can via message. Yes. If I have an MSA and you have an MSA, I should be able to find you and message you on a Windows PC. But the thing with Teams, of course, is that it's cross-platform. So I can message you on your iPhone using this Teams thing if I really needed to, because right. if, even if you don't have the Teams client on your phone, because Microsoft said it works with SMS and you can do two, two-way SMS conversations and stuff as well, uh, so that's super interesting.
0: So how wait? How does that work? Are they giving? Are they assigning you a phone number with your team's account?
3: I assume it works how Skype currently does, which is it. They assign you a phone number, and I yeah. assume you need some credits to, to, for it to function and whatnot. But yeah,
1: <laughs> it it could also work with a, you know, the the text application on your your phone and some sort of QR code binding system. Oh my God, no. That's hey, that no does. The second you and get into QR codes, you've lost the plot. Well, that, but yeah. that's the easy way to do it. There are other ways to do it, but taking holding your phone up to a QR code is the simple way.
2: Well, but that would also mean that it's only tied to one computer.
1: Well, it, it has to be. You can't be routing a text message to a hundred different places. You only want it to go once. That's a problem WhatsApp is facing right now. Well, that's because it's end-to-end encrypted, not because not because you well no encrypted actually means it's easier to send it to a million devices at once because you shouldn't be able to decrypt it unless you're actively logged into that device but it's it's the routing you don't want a message to get lost you don't want a message to appear unanswered on one device and answer it on another so the simple way to do it is make it one device only at a time
0: right but the issue with with Skype, I mean, with 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 WhatsApp, is not only that they're using, like they're they're not only using phone numbers as an authentication right point. What
1: you know, maybe WhatsApp was a bad example, and you're correct. WhatsApp has its own unique set of issues because it's more of a service than a messaging application. It you know it it hosts a bunch of other services as well.
2: Yeah, but whatever solution Microsoft comes up with can't just be one computer, because let's face it, most of us have the computer that we use at home and the computer that we use at work.
1: Well, and your boss isn't going to want you to get your text on your computer at work. Sorry. We're kind of jaded. I guess jaded is the opposite of what I mean. We're lucky that Daniel doesn't care. But if I was your (laughs) boss and you were making widgets in my factory or you were supervising workers or worked in HR at my widget factory. Damn it. You better not be getting your personal texts on my time. Don't you dare look at your phone at my widget factory. Damn Ara. right.
0: How dare you? <laughs> All right, Zach, I want to, I want to, I want to change up the conversation a little bit and talk about hardware. So Microsoft not only makes windows and windows increasingly is not a business for Microsoft. It is a, um, a throughway, a through line for, other businesses, Azure, Office 365, et cetera, or Microsoft 365, et cetera, Xbox, Game Pass, you know, lots of other ways of, of, of accruing subscription revenue. Um, but Microsoft makes hardware. Microsoft makes the Surface line of, of laptops and, and tablets, and it makes a phone. And I'm wondering what your sense is of how Windows 11 has been built to take advantage of the next generation of Surface laptops, um, Surface Pros, the Go line that's increasingly popular, and potentially how Microsoft will be competing with Chrome and Chromebooks at the education level by making Windows 11 more lightweight and easier to use on lower-end hardware. And we know that there are some system requirements involved with Windows 11, but eventually... When Windows 11 is compatible with a 300 $400 laptop, you, could, you, you should expect Microsoft to make a big push against Google in the education space again. So I know that's a lot, but kind of walk us through how you think Windows 11 fits in with Microsoft's short-term and long-term hardware strategy.
3: So yeah, as you mentioned, they've bumped the minimum requirements for Windows 11. And I think they've done this for a couple of reasons. One, to obviously sell new PCs. This is how it always is with a new version of Windows. But two, uh, because a lot of people use, would often, often complain that Windows 10 on low end It sucks. You know, it's not very performant. It's laggy. It's slow. It's just not a pleasure to use on low-end hardware.
1: I'm glad you said that. I didn't have to.
3: (laughs) Well, it's true. Let's be honest. Uh, But with Windows 11, they've bumped those minimum requirements. So the minimum now is 4 gigabytes of RAM instead of 2 gigabytes. A 64-gigabyte drive instead of 16 gigabytes of storage. You know, Windows 10's minimum system requirements were ridiculous. Um, But they've actually bumped quite a bit of that. So it's now... I would say acceptable. It's not, I wouldn't say it's standard, but I think it's at an acceptable level. Now with four gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage, you should at very least be able to run windows and run off word and browse a few tabs in a browser, which is what I guess students maybe are fine with and whatnot. But these minimum requirements being bumped should mean that low end hardware, uh, performs better as a result, right? We're not going to really see a change in price for these low-end stuff, but th- these requirements will mean if, if an OEM was to ship a Windows 11 certified PC, it has to have four, gigabyte, uh, four gigabytes of RAM at a minimum. It also has to have what they say is a modern one gigahertz 64-bit dual-core processor, uh, at least a nine-inch display um, and UEFI, Secure Boots, and TPM 2.0. Now, the TPM 2.0 thing has caused a bit of a ruckus in in the, in the Windows community because it turns out a lot of CPUs or boards don't even have TPM 2.0 enabled. Um, some of them don't even have a TPM chip. Uh, so it, this is going to be an issue for a few people. But I think the biggest problem that people are hitting is the fact that Microsoft's list of supported CPUs on Windows 11 doesn't go back very far. Uh, To simplify things, it essentially goes back to 8th gen Intel chips. So if you're running a 7th gen PC, you are technically not eligible for Windows 11. That said, it's more of a soft block rather than a hard block. If you force the updates, it should install and you should be okay.
0: Just just for clarification, sorry, Zach, what year did 7th gen Intel chips come out?
3: I think that was 2017. Seventh okay, gen. so
0: your your computer needs to be within the sold within the last four years or
1: so. Right, they they yeah. sold them new up until twenty twenty.
3: Yes, yep. uh, that, that's the other big problem because you know Microsoft is is part of this as well. They still sell a Surface Studio two at full price, which is not cheap uh, with a seventh gen series CPU, and that will not be getting Windows 11. In fact, on Microsoft's own website, they've updated all the Surface product pages with tags that say, this is going to be eligible for Windows 11. And the Surface Studio 2 doesn't have that tag. Uh, It's frankly, in my opinion, it's really embarrassing on Microsoft's end. And I don't know why they limited it at 8th gen, like surely 6th gen or or maybe even 5th gen. If it has a TPM chip, what's the problem? But I don't know.
2: To be fair, we were just talking about how crappy the low-end chips are. Part of limiting it to a certain generation forward is also kind of like okay we don't want you to use the crappy chips from this generation either because weren't there like seventh gen celerons and pentiums right yes that's yeah. true
1: yeah my, my biggest problem when i look at the uh processor requirements is they left out a lot of chips that are a lot more capable than 8th gen <laughs> low-end chips. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I, I don't, you know, it, like maybe like Zach said, this is a soft block. You can just check the box that you want to install anyway, or maybe this list will get updated. I don't see it standing as unless your system has this chip, you can't install Windows 11. I, I just don't see that happening
3: yeah it it blocks off a significant chunk of the Windows market now Microsoft was obviously expecting to cut off at least some part of the Windows Ten market, but and up that's to, good yes, it is good, but up to twenty eighteen or so seventeen that's insane Well I was thinking maybe six years but a six year buffer between officially supported and then there's the soft. Block between you know devices that came out between twenty twelve and twenty fifteen, and then anything below that, just no, you can't upgrade at this point. Oh, you it's know, decade
1: old. you're going to go on Reddit in a month, and somebody's going to have the beta running on their Pentium Two. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I'm sure. So. there's
3: always a workaround with Windows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean,
0: I, I do want to get just your your opinion on this uh, on the next generation of Surface hardware oh, yes. because you've got insight into this that nobody else does. And I think there's. it's it's important that even though Microsoft listed all of its OEM partners during the event, it really is the company that shapes the form factors for mm-hmm. those OEMs. And Microsoft invented, for all intents and purposes, the two-in-one with the Surface Pro that we now take for granted and across the industry. Does Windows 11 make any major improvements that you think will translate to a better hardware experience down the road.
3: So we've not really seen anything on the official side of things in regards to new form factors or new hardware capabilities just yet. They did announce that Windows 11 will support pen haptics, which Windows 10 didn't have. Obviously, that does require new hardware, so I guess that confirms that Microsoft will ship a new Surface Pen in the fall, as will other OEMs that have haptics built in. Uh, But we have seen some sort of hints at some stuff in the leaks build that came out last week. Um, There were references to things like Wake on Touch or Wake When Approach, Features that aren't part of Windows 10. Now, I know Intel has like a Wake On approach thing of their own, but Microsoft appears to be building it into Windows 11 natively, which could uh, suggest that maybe upcoming Surface hardware or even hardware from other OEMs eventually uh, will have these things built in. Wake On Touch essentially is being like a single prep tap display to wake a device isn't available on Windows PCs right now, that would be a new hardware feature for, say, the next Surface Pro or even maybe the Surface Neo if Microsoft actually ends up getting around to shipping that, which I think they totally could with Windows 11. Uh, As agreed. we've already sort of, sort of mentioned, the, the UX is very 10X inspired. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they basically ported it from one to the other. So why not, right? The 10X UI was built for with Surface Neo in mind. Surely it would only take a little bit of extra work to make that happen on Windows 11. Uh, they didn't announce anything at the event earlier this week, but I think that's because Microsoft were trying very hard to keep it all about Windows and less about the hardware. We may see more in October when Microsoft is usually refreshing its Surface lineup.
1: I'm more interested in what OEMs do with it, Yeah, to to be honest. Mm -hmm. This affects OEMs a lot more than Microsoft when it comes to hardware. Especially because, you know, like like you just went over the the system requirements. And I'm all for it. You've got to dump the garbage if you want the new stuff to be great. OEMs, I, I don't even really know if they're making money by selling the garbage that they sell now. But they're not going to be able to sell it anymore after, what, a year? Nobody's going to want to buy a Windows laptop in 2023 that doesn't run Windows 11. Right. So this is going to get rid of all the garbage, and I think that's a good thing for consumers. I just don't know how OEMs feel about it. But it also constrains
0: margins, right? When we talk about companies selling two, three hundred dollar Windows laptops, they're able to do that because they can put right. Pentiums and Atom's with two gigs of RAM in there, or or very slow, um, you know, DDR RAM. They they're not as constrained on the minimum requirements. And I think what's interesting here. Is when you compare performance of Chrome OS at the low end to Windows 10, Chrome is always going to win because it's a it's a more lightweight operating system. There's less dependencies. Uh, it's basically just a browser. And I'm not saying that low end Chrome hardware is good. Most most low end Chromebooks are bad and they don't perform as well as I would like. But I think Apple's. But to if you're apples, in that
2: budget. If you have if it's like I have a hard limit of three hundred dollars, I have a hard limit of four hundred dollars, do not buy a Windows laptop
0: right, and that's what I'm saying not yet. And with Windows eleven, OEMs are going to have to eat into some of those margins yep. to hit those three hundred dollar price points with a dual core sixty four bit s o c or 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 or
1: processor four gigs of RAM and a 64 gig SSD, so right? The, the CEO of HP is only going to get a $5 billion bonus instead of <laughs> a $6 billion bonus. This, is, but,
0: but that's the thing is that Windows PCs are their primary PC business, right? Chromebooks are tiny for most of these OEMs compared to PC sales.
2: Eh, well, they're getting bigger, but yeah. But also, if you look at the hardware for Chromebooks, Pretty much every Chromebook sold on the market for the last three years has had four gigabytes of RAM. I don't know what the hell took Windows so long to set that requirement. But also, the processors for most of these low-end Chromebooks, like, you can buy a Chromebook with an i3 processor for $300 in a 1080p screen and four gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigabytes of storage. That's $300. It was $200 on Prime Day. So that's not hard to find. So I'm wondering if really it's the hardware requirements that are going to force. I don't think hardware requirements are going to for, force OEMs to actually start putting better things in the low end hardware. It's a matter of okay, we can't. We're going to have to cut a couple of these models, but we're going to keep selling these because these just squeak in under the requirements. Yeah,
1: they're they're just going to have to put a little bit better RAM, maybe not more, but better, and a little bit more storage in it, and. Find a way to price it competitively. That's what they're going to have to do with the low end, and they're going to have to. And you know, they may not be happy about that, but man, that's great for consumers. Microsoft
3: could help here as well by sure uh, offering OEM licenses for less or even free on devices that cost under a certain bracket, right? If if, yep. if if Dell or HP is saying, "Hey, we want to build PCs for the for the education market at three hundred dollars," oh,
1: Microsoft to give them the house.
3: Sure. Right. Exactly. We, I mean, we don't know that for a fact, but this is speculation because Microsoft doesn't talk about this sort of behind-the-scenes licensing and whatnot. But Microsoft could very easily do that if they were really committed to competing in this low-end market.
0: So, what laptop are you using right now, Zach?
3: I'm on a Surface Book three. A surf. Okay, the
0: the, the big Kahuna. I the was going to
2: say, <laughs> what's the price tag on that puppy? <laughs> uh, it's
3: pretty expensive. It was a hard day. Uh. Not off, not the 15 inch version. No, the 13 no. inch one. I, when I had it with the book, too, I kind of did, but the 15 inch, a fifteen. nobody wants a 15 inch tablet. No, nope. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants that. It's not useful at all.
1: Does not make hey, sense. Hey, I've got that pixel slate.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, no, a that's not 15 I not want inches. it. Mm-hmm. I don't want it because it's huge and it's not even 15 inches. Yeah. All
0: right. Before we go, Zach, I want to talk a little bit about the Surface Duo. So obviously, that was a big deal launched last year out of the gate. Software is rough. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Over the last few months, Microsoft has made some iterative improvements, but still, it's pretty rough. It's also still running Android 10. It's yep. It's kind of a mess. What are you expecting for the second generation of the Surface Duo? What have you heard about how Microsoft took feedback from those early adopters and put it into the second gen version?
3: So... I've been hearing that the Surface Duo 2, well, what Microsoft is trying to do with the Surface Duo 2 is make it a better phone. It's fair to say that the Duo 1 uh, shipped as a, a vision for what a mobile Surface would be like, but that didn't make it a very good phone. Microsoft is trying to write that ship with Duo 2 by introducing uh, obvious flagship phone features, things like NFC or a competent camera system. Um 5g and the latest snapdragon processor all of that sort of stuff that you would expect in a device that costs more than a grand uh, that should be part of surface duo 2 when it launches what i'm hearing later this year um the design should more or less remain the same i think they're changing the dimensions ever so slightly in all directions um the biggest changes i think will be there's a new camera system on on the back because uh, one of the complaints that duo has is that it only has essentially a front facing camera right um, the Duo 2 should have a rear-facing camera system of some kind. Uh, the Snapdragon 888 is what I'm hearing is it, it will ship with as well, so that should uh, please the the tech heads who want the latest processor rather than a processor from two years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. More RAM, because obviously it's a device about multitasking. The Duo 1 shipped with 6 gigs of RAM for some reason. Um, Duo 2 should have 8 gigs of RAM, uh, which should hopefully give a little bit more headroom And other stuff as well. I think it might have a slightly higher refresh rate display, slightly bigger displays. Um, And yeah, uh, it's going to be, I think, a a substantial upgrade for the Duro itself. Uh, I don't know if it'll be good enough to sort of make it people's default phone uh, because it'll it'll all depend on how good the camera is, I think, for most people.
0: And and in terms of um, software, a lot of what Microsoft did has been natively integrated into Android 11 and 12. I assume this will ship with Android 12, because if it doesn't, what are you doing?
3: But Uh I I don't know an answer to that. I think because the prototypes are Android 11 internally. Um, You would think if they're going to ship with Android 12, they would at least have something running at this point, but I haven't heard anything.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, we're still in the beta for Android 12, so...
1: Ship with Windows 11! (laughs) (laughs) If they were going to do
2: that, it would have been on stage yesterday.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. It does have four gigs
2: of RAM. And then everybody would have lost their minds.
0: All right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm excited personally for the Surface Duo 2. I really liked aspects of the Duo. I still pick Mm -hmm. it up every once in a while. I've been messing around with Minecraft Dungeons on the Duo using the new touch controls with Xbox Game Pass and I think of all the games I've played, that one feels the most native. Most of them don't. Um, Microsoft really did a good job there. So there is potential for this to be sort of a really good game system, um, but I I don't know. I, I, I wish that the Duo had come with support for that magnetic keyboard attachment that was going to ship with the Neo because that just looked so cool, but we'll see about later generations. I don't know if I want a tiny physical keyboard on a screen that small.
3: Yeah, it, I you think do. that's why it doesn't
0: exist. Yeah, <laughs> do. my Blackberry days are like pinging me yeah, in the back of my brain. You want, this, you want this? You want this? Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to end it there. But before we go, Zach, we do this every week. We run through something that's making us happy. That's anything. It doesn't have to be tech related. It's just something in the world that's making us feel good, puts a smile on your face. So I'll give you some time to think about that as we go through the the round table and we'll start with you Jerry what's making you happy this week
1: fathers day and it's not necessarily the holiday of fathers day uh my the fire department down here where i live every year for fathers day they have a a nice little picnic for you to show up with your father or if you can't be with your father and it's you know it's got a lot of kids whose fathers aren't around It's also got a lot of elderly people who don't have a father anymore. And, you know, for years, my dad lived in Florida. I didn't get to see him. I'd go there and just hang out with people. Uh, This year, my dad was able to come. They've moved to Pennsylvania. But it's just, it's great. It's great to see just a bunch of guys, you know, age 5 to 85. And they're just cooking hot dogs and just talking. And just being there for each other, and it really makes you feel good inside. And I wish that this was something that they did more than just on Father's Day.
0: That's really nice. I like that. Oh, I wish I was there next year. Come down, sure. I'll bring. I'll bring my daughter. It'll be fun. There you go. When we're allowed to be there
2: again, right?
0: Hopefully. Cool. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Ara, what's what's making you happy this week?
2: Uh, I finally watched Loki on. Watched the first two episodes Wednesday night, watched the third episode last night, and it's good. It's as good as everybody's been telling me, so I'm very excited to see what the rest of the series holds.
0: Interesting. Okay.
2: I'm betting we're not going to get a second season of this, which is a shame because there are so many fun like little plot threads and story ideas I can see already, and I'm like, you could have spun this out in so many ways, and y'all are going to tie it up in a neat little bow and move on to the next thing, aren't y'all?
0: Why wouldn't they give it a second season?
2: Okay, like, WandaVision, okay, it's like, it takes... Giving it, spo-
0: are you allowed to say that without spoiling it?
2: Yes. Um, okay. So for WandaVision, it was like, okay, this is one horrible, horrible thing that happened, and it's her working through her grief. This was a very set, this had to happen, and this was a self-contained story. She has to go off and do something else now because she can't stay there. Uh, for Loki, it's a matter of, okay, we're dealing with time travel, so we can go anywhere, anytime, And we're choosing to pick at the like, okay, we've, you're going to be chasing this person, and this person is going to tell you something that is going to destabilize the TVA in its entirety. Uh, So, as soon as he gets to tell people that and gets people to believe him, because he's a trickster and he lies, and so I don't know if anybody's actually going to believe him, assuming that what this person said was the truth, which I think it is. I hope it is, because that would just be so, so many fun storylines there. But, um, for Loki it's a matter of this is such a fun character and there are so many interesting aspects of his personality that we're getting to scratch on that we never really get in the movies. So I'm I'm hoping that we get to see him play more in this world or any mm. world. The beauty of this is I think this is going to end with us branching off into okay, we have an actual multiverse now. Go nuts. And that would be great.
0: <laughs> and how many episodes are in the season? So Six. I know when I know when to binge it. Okay. I haven't. I haven't watched any of
2: them yet.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that's that's great. Thank you, Ara. That's Loki on Disney Plus. So, Zach, we are we're at you now. What what is making you happy this week?
3: Oh man, my answer is so sad. That's okay. I brought a new refrigerator this week and I've never been more excited.
2: (laughs) Hey, you actually got to buy an appliance. I've never done that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, the fridge I had is, is I think, like 10 years old now. It's old. It's noisy. I don't think it even works properly anymore. So I thought, you know what? It's time. It's prime day. I'm going to look for a new fridge. I didn't even get a great fridge. I just got a, a modern fridge. And I've never been more
1: excited for an appliance. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. It'll end up saving you so much on your electric bill that it'll pay for itself in a year. Oh, I'm
3: sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And the fact that it just isn't noisy is going to be the biggest thing for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm happy for you. It's not one of those fancy ones that you can like. There's a camera and you can see into it.
3: It just keeps my food cold. (laughs) Just keeps your food cold.
0: I mean, I'm a little disappointed that you, of all people, didn't go with like the highest end, top of the line. Ga- g- gadgets and gizmos fridge but that's okay
2: sometimes the old ways are best
0: <laughs> yeah my my fridge technically is a it's a samsung and it technically connects to the internet but they oh, call really? the internet wlan and you have to manually enter your password using <laughs> like the up and down keys it's nope. i i never even tried it cuz nope why would i want that um but my fridge also just gives me ice cubes that's the one thing i like it gives me ice cubes it works does this one give you i wish you ice i had cubes? water
2: good enough that i could trust the ice cubes that come out of my fridge
0: <laughs> does, does this one give you ice cubes at least zach
3: no but it does have like a water thing so you can like get fresh cold water out the front of it
1: there more important than ice yeah that's yes more important i agree yes. <laughs> well
0: uh good luck i hope it i hope it fixes all of your all of your fridge woes Thanks, me too. (laughs) Uh, Well, what's making me happy this week, I have two things. One is very personal. The other is internet meme related. Uh, Personal is on Tuesday night after what I felt like was an interminable wait, I was able to get my second shot. Um, It was not expected because technically based on when I got my first shot, I would only have been eligible to sign up to get my second shot on Wednesday. But Tuesday night, somebody messaged me on Instagram saying that there's a pop-up vaccination center nearby where I live, which is something that happens here in Toronto, where local hospitals will actually like put together these vaccination centers with requirements different from the overall province. So I was able to go there around 7 o'clock, lined up with 100 other people, got my shot, I was miserable on Wednesday, had a fever. <laughs> it r- ran through my body like like I-, I felt sicker than I felt in nearly two years. Uh, but I slept it off and now I feel great and I'm finally fully vaccinated, which is the best feeling I couldn't, I-, I honestly didn't imagine being here considering that six months ago when vaccinations started rolling out in places like Israel and even in the US, Canada had never, had not vaccinated a single person Right, so we were way behind the UK, way behind the US and Israel, um, and now we are the we're the first, we're the uh, the the highest vaccination rates in the world, actually. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really happy. Hopefully, things are starting to open up again. As of next Wednesday, you can have haircuts again and go, you know, get your nails done and stuff, which I'm happy for people. But we still can't eat inside restaurants. That's going to happen in mid July. So one thing at a time.
1: We're we're going to give you like Mississippi and Georgia and Texas and then the United States can have the highest vaccination. Yeah, right. sure. That's I'm sure they'll come willingly to Socialist Canada. <laughs> we're just going to give them to you. It oh, doesn't you're
0: just going to give them over to yeah, us? Sure. You can yeah. Have them. Let's 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 do that. Let's start another civil war. That's exactly what we want.
2: I mean, I'm pretty sure they'd accept the other states so long as we sent Walt Disney World with Florida.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: The the first thing I I, I proclaim West Virginia is now owned by you. Just Got it. You personally, thank you. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I, I like. I like every time you you tell me
0: about West Virginia. I'm like, yeah, I like this place more and more. I mean,
1: we ran out of coal 20 years ago, but the mines are going to open up any day now. <laughs> so my other, my other, what's making me happy is
0: something I I think everybody should watch. Um, it's a tr- clip from Conan O'Brien's last week of shows. This uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. It's uh, he's interviewing Paul Hader or uh, Bill Hader about upcoming uh, about his new show season. Um, I I forget the name of the show. Uh, Big mouth. No, that was
2: Bill Hader, right?
0: Yeah, but it's not big mouth. It's, it's something else. Anyway, um, it'll come to me, but they are, have, they're talking about uh, an old story with Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd comes on and like runs through the story about when he and Bill Hader were, were doing an SNL skit And how it was really poorly received. And then he pulls one of the longest running pranks on like network television where every time Paul Rudd came on to Conan and said that he's going to show a clip of the show or movie that he was doing. He always shows this ridiculous clip from a 1988 film called Mac and Me about an alien and a kid that is going down a hill in a wheelchair and the brakes Stop working, and he like falls over a cliff into water war, yeah, and it's the funniest out of context thing you could possibly imagine, and then I didn't realize this, but this has been going on for twenty years. He's been doing this every single time he comes on Conan and does and I don't care if it's real or not, I don't care if Conan's in on it, he's probably in on it, but of course there is they're a, in on it. I mean, he's in on it, but also like they make it seem like Conan okay, just gets
2: maybe surprised he's every not time. In on it. His production crew is definitely in it. Yeah, yeah, on yeah
0: of it. course, but, of course. But uh, the but viewers
1: like, aren't in on it, which was what makes it. You great. know,
0: it, it's just one of those things that, like, will he do it, will he do it again yeah. this time, right? If you've been following Conan throughout his career and seeing Paul Rudd guest on the show, it's like, will he do that again? And I had no idea this has been going on. And then I saw this clip and it's so funny. And then there's this meta clip where they like show you every single time he's pulled this prank and it's like 12 or 14 times over the last 20 years anyway i highly recommend seeing this it's really funny and it's it's just adorable i mean it's so cute the way that they like play off each other it's it's a good it's a good uh eight minutes of your life or whatever so highly recommend that. It's the you can just look up paul rudd mac and me prank and you'll find it on online somewhere
1: and, and don't get offended I'm in a wheelchair and I think it's freaking awesome.
0: I mean, it's a terrible movie,
1: right? It's yeah, just a terrible. But, but don't low get offended budget, at the clip. It's kids funny. Movie. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah, it's you can't take it too
0: seriously. Right. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. All right. That's our show. Zach, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun and super, super helpful for us to understand Windows eleven. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do?
3: Uh, they can find my content at windowscentral.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Bowden, Z-A-C-B-O-W-D-E-N.
0: Lovely. And I actually didn't introduce you properly. I just said you're from Windows Central, assuming people have listened to you previously on the show. But what is your title? What do you do at Windows Central?
3: I'm a senior editor for Windows content at Windows Central, so I'm the I'm the Windows 11 guy. <laughs>
1: You are the Windows 11 guy, exactly. The right answer was, I do as little as possible.
0: <laughs> well, it's great to have you again. We'll have you on when they debut Windows 12 or something. Yes. Maybe maybe the Duo 2. We'll have you back later this year when when they finally do something. When fun they announce the Duo again.
1: 2 with Windows 11.
0: Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, you can find me at JourneyDan. You can find Ara at AraWagCo. You can find Jerry at GBHill. You can find all of us at Android Central. We love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought of today's show. Podcast at androidcentral.com. You can also message us on Twitter. We also love hearing from you there. We will be back next week with another episode. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
1: Adios.